Welcome to episode 98 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. On today's episode, we're going to go over six steps you can take to stop overeating sugar that don't involve you banning sugar. Let's go. What's going on? Today's episode, six steps to stop overeating sugar without banning sugar. When I was in my mid-20s, I lived at home with my parents for a period of time. It was about a year or so. My mom was reading a book. She was really into reading nutrition books and reading women's magazines. Um, Particularly, she really liked reading the nutrition articles. I'm I'm putting nutrition (laughs) in air quotes. Gosh, those magazines are full of bad advice. This is what she was reading. She would share, I would read them too. She would share these with, with me. And I cannot remember the name of the specific book she was reading um, that I'm referring to here today. It was a book and there was, it was read on it and there was a pile of sugar on the front with one of those slash inside of a circle things, basically saying like, no, no sugar. Okay. And it was a step-by-step guide to cutting sugar out of your life. My mom, you know, says to me, I think we should try this. Like, do you want to try this? And I got to be honest, I didn't really want to try it. I didn't really want to try it, but I did. I would, I've shared here before in my twenties, I had this idea perpetually that I needed to lose five pounds. Looking back, I know for sure what I needed to do. What I needed to do was lift weights and put on some muscle. Um, and I would have had the look I wanted, but in my mind, I needed to lose five pounds. And if according to this book, this was going to be the key to me losing that weight was getting rid of all of the sugar. And I loved sugar. I loved chocolate, all the things. And definitely was one of those self-proclaimed chocoholics. That self-fulfilling prophecy was for sure a part of my life at that point. So I begrudgingly agreed that I would do this with her. Now, she wanted to do it for a month and I was just like, no, not doing that. But I agreed to do it for two weeks. Spoiler alert, I quit after a week. (laughs) In one way, it was useful, and I'm glad I did it. Frankly, I'm glad I tried all of the various crash diets I did in my early years, and even my not-so-early years. I was in my late 30s before I stopped that nonsense. It gave me a lot of knowledge about what didn't work. In this case, what that particular craziness did for me was help me to realize the amount of sugar that was in everything around me, things that I never would have guessed had sugar, like pretty much any kind of sauce I ever considered using had sugar in it. That was useful information to me, and I did not know that. But otherwise, it was a terribly painful experience. I I took a 30-minute drive one time uh, during that week to the closest Whole Foods to buy some kind of sugar-free chocolate, which was both expensive and disgusting. It was just not a good week. I spent so much time obsessing about sugar that week. And that is precisely what most people experience when they ban a food or a food group. It's like the old, hey, don't think of a pink elephant kind of shtick. You know what I'm talking about? The more you tell yourself, don't think of a pink elephant, don't think of a pink elephant, the more you find yourself picturing that dang pink elephant. And that is exactly what happens most of the time. I won't say all of the time, that's, you know, that's not a true statement, but more of the time than not, when people try to ban foods from their diet, it's like thinking of that pink elephant. They just can't stop thinking about this banned substance. So what can you do instead of banning sugar? The first thing I would suggest doing is getting really clear on why you're considering a sugar detox. Is it for weight loss? If so, this is a good time for a reminder that no single ingredient causes weight gain, or prevents weight 
loss. Weight loss is always going to be governed by the energy balance equation. Eat more calories than you're burning, you will gain weight. Now, a real, um, a real kind of like, I can't think of the, the freight. That's weird. I just had, I just had a total brain freeze, a little bit of brain fog here. I had, a, I had a little saying in my, in my mind that literally was about to come out of my tongue and it wouldn't come. The one big hitch in this um, energy balance equation that you might notice with sugar is hyperpalatable foods. Those ultra processed combos of food. Not that they're not governed by the principles of energy balance, but what I'm saying is when you have a lot of hyperpalatable foods, that combination of salt and sugar and fat can make weight loss really challenging because it makes it difficult to maintain a calorie deficit. It makes it difficult to make the energy balance equation work for you because they are literally designed, they are literally processed to be easily overeaten. But if totally calorie total calories are managed well, even eating hyperpalatable foods, you will still lose weight. So the key then there is how can you manage total hyperpalatable foods and total calories taken in. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, maybe weight loss isn't your goal. Maybe you want to get rid of sugar because you're concerned about your health. And reducing sugar in your diet can lead to improved health outcomes. But minimizing and banning are not the same thing. Remember that pink elephant? It often backfires when you try and ban. So minimizing sugar, I think, can be um, a good step if you're concerned about your health. With those two things in mind, here are six steps you can take to stop overeating sugar. How to minimize sugar without banning sugar. Number one, add in fiber. I want you to shoot for 25 to 35 grams of fiber daily. Now to increase your fiber without messing up your digestion, like you don't wanna spend a ton of time on the toilet or vice versa, like you just can't, can't get it out, to minimize that, spend a week tracking how much fiber you eat. And then once you have that information, begin to ratchet it up a bit at a time. So add in five grams daily. So let's say you, what you discover is that you're, you're eating on average, you know, nine grams of fiber daily or 12 grams, or who knows, could be less than that, depending on your diet. What you can do is, okay, I'm going to now add in nine plus five. So I'm going to have <laughs> math math when I'm on a podcast like this like that that's not that hard nine plus five but it freaks me out I'm thinking I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna mess it up and say the wrong number okay so you're gonna have 14 grams of fiber daily for a while okay do that for some number of days a week make sure you're feeling okay you're feeling regular then ratchet it up again add in another five grams go for another period of time see that you're feeling regular, and then ratchet up again, aiming for that 25 to 35 grams daily. All right, I'm gonna share some of my favorite high fiber foods, and then I want you to go to Google, go to that Google machine and type in high fiber foods, get a big long list of them, and then pick your favorites. Your favorites do not have to be my favorites. I use ra raspberries are one of the highest fiber foods out there, and I happen to love raspberries, so I have some every day. It's a rare day that I don't eat raspberries. Okay, so I, I use raspberries a lot. I hate pears. Some people love pears. Pears are also an incredibly high fiber food. If you like pears, do pears. Avocados, beans, artichokes, popcorn, whole grain bread. Now, I want you to be careful and read the label on whole grain breads. 
check to see how much fiber is actually in that bread instead of believing whatever marketing hype is on the package. Um, they're not they're not always what they seem. They can put a lot of words on there that are saying things that you think mean high fiber, but they indeed do not mean high fiber. So I like Dave's. There's five grams of fiber per slice, 120 calories in a slice. And I also like Ezekiel bread. Three grams of fiber per slice, 80 calories in the slice. That's specifically for the, the sesame Ezekiel bread. The others might be different depending on which flavor you get. I like the sesame. Um, three grams of fiber per slice, 80 calories in a slice. So those are my two go-to breads to add in some fiber. Apples are good with fiber, potatoes, nuts, chia seeds, and other kinds of seeds. Okay, so that's a little starter list for you. Go to Google, Google high fiber foods and start working on that. Second step you can take to stop overeating sugar, add in protein. Aim for 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of body weight. Now, if you're a person who has a lot of weight that you want to lose, so you have a high body fat percentage, you can do 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of lean body weight. Figure that out by figuring out a goal weight. It doesn't have to be your ultimate goal weight, but pick a weight that is somewhat less than you weigh now could be 30 pounds, 40 pounds, 50 or pounds lighter than you are now, use that and do 0.8 to 1 gram per pound of that number. Now look to space your protein across the day. So have some at each meal. An easy way to do this is to start basing your meals off of what protein am I going to have? Think of that first. Okay, it's breakfast tomorrow. What What's my protein? Lunch tomorrow. What's my protein? Dinner tomorrow. What's my protein? Some of my favorite sources, Greek yogurt, cottage cheese, eggs and egg whites, chicken, both breast and thighs, tuna, pork loin, flank steak, salmon, turkey, shrimp. Um, I like deli turkey breast. So I go to the deli counter and they roast turkey breast right there in the store so they're not filled with whatever kind of stuff that the really highly processed lunch meat is. And what I found out everywhere I go and I ask about this, and I say, is there anything in there besides turkey? The only thing they ever usually add to those, you can check at your deli counter, is a browning agent on top to make it look nice and roasted, which I don't know why they do that. Frankly, who really who really wants the brown? I don't even want the brown. But um, I buy that a lot and I have them cube it. Well, I have them slice it thick for me and then I come home and cube it to put in salads or I have them just slice it regularly. I use it for sandwiches or I use it on lettuce roll-ups. Um so yeah, store roasted turkey breast, an excellent source of protein that I that I enjoy. So again, use Google, Google high protein sources and make a master list of your favorites. I want to do an important side note here, and nobody's happy when they hear me say this. Nuts and nut butters are not a protein source. Boom. They are not a good protein source. They are a fat source with a bit of protein. The calories in peanut butter, for example are way more coming from fat than they are protein. I'm not saying don't eat peanut butter. I eat peanut butter right now. I'm eating peanut butter more days than not. I love some peanut butter on a rice cake. It's delicious. But what I am saying is do not try and get a large chunk of your protein from nuts and nut butter. You'll get a little bit from there. It should not be your main source. The calories are gonna be way too high if you try and do that. One more point about this protein. If the number you figure out when you do 0.8 to 1 grams, even if that 0.8 number feels ridiculously high compared to what you are eating now, shoot for a baseline level of 100 grams. Get there first, get really good at getting in 100 grams of protein daily, and then you can begin over time to go up 
up, up a little bit at a time, ratchet it up to whatever at least that 0.8 uh, grams per pound of body weight or lean body weight is. Moving on to number three, the third step you can take to stop overeating sugar. Add in vegetables at most meals. The reason I say most and not all is breakfast. A lot of people do not want vegetables at breakfast, and that's cool. I don't always have vegetables at breakfast either. I do if I'm making a smoothie. I put either frozen okra, which I know sounds weird, or spinach in my smoothie. And I want to tell you, both of those have zero flavor. Zero flavor. Okra tastes like nothing when you have it frozen and you put it in a smoothie and blend it up and a lot of micronutrition there. So when I can find frozen okra, it's not the easiest thing to find. But when I can find it, I do use frozen okra and I do use spinach a lot. And so I go back and forth between those two. I do like to switch it up to get some variety there, get different nutrition. Um, so that's one time I will have vegetables in the morning. The other time is if I'm making a scramble. I don't make omelets because I'm a complete failure at omelets. I cannot make them stay together. So I've given up <laughs> and I make a scramble, which is basically you know, an omelet, but just purposefully <laughs> not in this pretty shape. When I'm doing that, I definitely add vegetables there. I add spinach, I add mushrooms, onions, all of those kinds of things. You can add whatever vegetables you like. Asparagus is really good um, in uh, an omelet if you're, if you're good about making those or in a scramble. So vegetables at most meals. You can do any kind of vegetables you want. Yes, you can do frozen. Yes, you can do canned. They're totally fine. Absolutely. You can have, if you're not a person who loves vegetables, pick your least offensive vegetables and stick with those. Start with a small amount and work your way up from there. Try to have vegetables with every lunch and dinner and when you can at breakfast. Now I want you to notice the first three items that we have gone over so far on this checklist of how to stop overeating sugar were all things to add in to your diet not things we're taking out. The idea is we're crowding out that ultra-processed sugary stuff. You getting that? Now, a side note on fruit. Yes, fruit has sugar in it. But fruit is also filled with fiber and water. If anyone is suggesting to you that fruit should go because it has sugar in it, they do not know what they're talking about and you should ignore them basically you should ignore any nutritional advice they give you. They do not know what they're talking about. If they're trying to tell you that fruit is bad for you, that fruit is a problem for weight loss, that fruit is a problem for health. I am encouraging you to eat fruit. It can be a big part of you hitting that fiber goal. That's why I didn't give you a specific goal to eat fruit along with the vegetables, because with that fiber goal, that's where you're going to get in a bunch of fruit. All right, moving on to number four. The fourth thing you can do to stop overeating sugar is to remove trigger foods from your immediate environment. What is a trigger food? A trigger food is any food that you cannot eat in moderation. So for you, maybe that's cookies, or maybe it's candy, or maybe it's pastries. Whatever the foods are that you cannot eat in moderation, get those out of your immediate environment. So you take them out of your pantry, you take them out of your car, you take them out of your office. I know other people live with you and they might want these things. How do you manage that? If it is a child of yours, the way you manage that is remembering that you're the grown up in charge and you're not going to tell them that they can't eat these things anymore. In fact, I would suggest you don't mention it at all. What you do is you simply stop buying that item. 
Okay, so let's say like Starburst is a trigger food for you and your kids love Starburst and you always have a bag of Starburst in the pantry. The next time those Starbursts are gone, once the kids eat them, you just don't buy them again. You don't buy them. And if they ask, you can just say, oh, I didn't buy those this week. That's it. Moving on. And then when your kids want Starburst, take them out to the 7-Eleven. I was going to say the Wawa. You guys probably don't know what a Wawa is. <laughs> a Wawa is our local kind of like convenience store. I know it sounds weird. That's a, that's a, a Philadelphia area thing, the local Wawa. Go out and get them their pack of Starburst. Okay? And we're going to talk in just a minute about you going out to get your own pack of Starburst. For now, let's down this one, removing trigger foods. So if, if it's a child, remember that you're in charge of the food that comes into the home. You don't have to make this a big deal. You just stop buying those things. And then you can say to yourself, well, I still want my kids to have some kind of fun little treat they like. Pick ones that you don't like. The example I always give is goldfish. In a million bajillion, I would have to literally be starving. If I was somewhere and there was no food to eat except for goldfish, I would eat goldfish. Otherwise, I would never pick one up. Same thing with potato chips. We could, You could leave potato chips all over my office, all over my house. I would never eat a potato chip. I just wouldn't do it. It's not interesting to me at all. So get snacks in your house for your kids that just are not your thing. Then if it is a grown-up, so if it is your significant other or some other family member who was living with you who was a grown-up, have a conversation. Have a conversation around the fact, hey, this food is a trigger food for me. It is really inhibiting me from reaching this goal I have, whether it's your weight loss goal or your health-related goal. It is really inhibiting me in this moment from reaching that goal. Can I get your support in just not having this around the house right now? Not forever, but for right now. And see what they say. A lot of times the answer is going to be like, cool, yeah, we can do that. If it's not, next conversation. Okay, how about we take this food that you really want that I don't want and we put it in this container that I can't see through. So we're going to get an opaque container and we're going to put it out of the waste spot. We're going to put it up on the super high shelf in the pantry or you're going to put it, husband, you're going to put it in your closet or you're going to put it on in your dresser. We're going to put it in your office, somewhere that's not in my face every time I open the pantry. So that's removing trigger foods from your home. Remove them from your office drawers. Remove them from your car. Stop keeping snacks in your car. You're going to be fine without snacks. Your kids are going to be fine. Um, and again, if you need snacks in your car for your kids, put things that don't tempt you. Like if you're never going to eat a fruit snack, put fruit snacks in there. All right. So that's removing trigger foods. Going along with them, I want you to remember, and this is number five, we are not banning any of those foods. We're not banning your Starburst. We're not banning whatever it is. You're going to go out and get those in a single serve portion when you decide you want them. When you're working that into your day, you're going to go out and get them. You're going to get a donut, a cupcake, and ice cream cone. Okay, you're going to get a pack of Starburst, not a family bag. You're going to get a single pack. This has built-in portion control. You cannot eat a dozen cookies if you buy one. Right? That makes perfect sense. You can only eat one cookie if you bought one cookie. And I want you to know this does not make you weak. It makes you smart. It makes you smart. So that's number five. Last one on the home stretch here. Sixth thing you can do to stop overeating sugar. This one is about how you speak to yourself and how you speak about yourself. What you might say now are things like, I'm addicted to sugar. I'm a chocoholic. I can't control myself around sugar. Do you say these things? Do you think these things? Even in jest, do you say these kind of things? Is it just kind of like your knee-jerk reaction? I'm a chocoholic. I used to say all of those things, every single one. Instead of saying those things, 
Let's phrase all of that another way. How about try one of these two? I am practicing eating sugar in moderation. Or I'm becoming a person who eats sugar in moderation. Can you hear the difference there? Same thing. I'm a person who struggles with sugar. Okay. I'm addicted to sugar. Can't control myself around sugar. I'm practicing eating sugar in moderation. I'm becoming a person who eats sugar in moderation. The big difference is that you are no longer defining yourself in disempowering terms. It's not about sugar's control over you. It's about what you are actively practicing. And you're also giving yourself space to not be perfect. Practicing, becoming, right? Those are real words. That's realistic. It's honest. It's not fakey fake as in saying, you know, some people will tell you to have a mantra of like, I am a person who eats sugar in moderation. And that might just feel really fake when you know you just downed a sleeve of Oreos yesterday. So I, though I do see the merit in, in saying that, so it's going to help you live up to that, I really like better to phrase it in the way of, I am practicing being a person who eats sugar in moderation. Because then when you slip up, which you will, because we all slip up as we're getting better at things, that will still feel really honest to you. You're not saying every single day, I'm a person who eats sugar in moderation and still stumbling. Because that 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 feeling of, it's not actually in harmony. The words I'm saying and what I'm doing are not in harmony. That um, incongruence can feel really, it can feel really yucky and it can feel really like, what am I, what am I even doing? Like, I'm such a screw up. But if you say it in terms of, I am practicing being a person who eats sugar in moderation. Okay, when you're practicing, practicing implies that you're not doing it perfectly yet. I'm becoming that person. I'm not there yet, but I'm becoming that person. I want you to start talking to this off. When you catch yourself saying things like, I'm a chocoholic, I want you to notice and be like, oh, there it is. I do say that. And rephrase it. Rephrase it either out loud, I do prefer out loud, or in your brain. It's not that I'm a chocoholic, a chocoholic. It's that I'm practicing being a person who eats chocolate in moderation. I'm actively working on becoming that person. So there you have it. Six steps to stop overeating sugar without doing yet another dum-dum detox. I hope this has helped. Hit me up on email, kim at kimschlagfitness.com, and let me know how this goes for you. Alternatively, you can drop me a message over on Instagram DMs. Let me know how this is going for you. And if this does help you, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a rating and review here on the podcast where you're listening to it about how this episode has helped you. That does wonders to help get this podcast in front of other people. All right, I'll catch you next episode. Thanks so much for being here and listening in to the Fitness Simplified podcast today. I hope you found it educational, motivational, inspirational, all the kinds of ational. <laughs> if you enjoyed it, if you found value in it, it would mean so much to me if you would go ahead and leave a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening to this on. It really does help to get this podcast to other people. Thanks so much.